It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Across the UK, online, on DAB, and on your smart speaker, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. The witching hour is fast approaching, ladies and gentlemen. In just four days' time, we will finally be implementing the will of the people and leaving the European Union. When the clock strikes 11 on Friday night, there will be bell ringing throughout the land, but there will also be huge swathes of Ramonas holding their heads in their hands, sitting in the dark, rocking backwards and forwards. Over the last few days, there has been a definite and concerted effort from some of the more hardline Ramon Brigade to ask this question. Name three benefits... Of leaving the European Union. Well, I've got a stuck answer for them now, just in case you need it, and it is this. Not listening to you whine, not watching you unravel, and never having to argue with you again. It works an absolute treat. Believe it or not, they're now moaning about a 50p coin, they're threatening to turn off their electricity, and they're trying to get the EU anthem, Ode to Joy, to number one on January the 31st. I'm afraid my money is on Lewis Capaldi. 0344 499 1000. Coming up later on, Belinda De Lucy joins us from the Brexit Party. She's got an independence playlist, and she'll be telling us what her last week in Brussels as an MEP is going to look like. Plus, we'll get the latest in the coronavirus from China, and why Boris Johnson's new Britain's Got Talent policy could be a winner. 03444991000. As ever, we are live streaming the show on YouTube and Facebook and Twitter so you can now watch us as well as listening. And we've added another quarter of a million viewers in the last two weeks alone. You're listening to me, Mike Graham, and watching me right here on the fastest growing radio station on the planet. It is, of course, Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Lots for us to do. Uh, coming up, we're going to be talking about how J.K. Rowling uh, has actually come out of a weekend report looking rather good because it turns out that she pays an awful lot more tax than anybody else in this country, uh, which is a rather nice thing to see. Uh, I might even forgive her for some of her rather off-colour political remarks uh, now that I know how much she puts into the National Exchequer. But I'm joined now by David Spencer, news editor here at Talk Radio, uh, to talk about that story I was just mentioning about the BBC getting totally and utterly wrong last night. Uh, the very sad death of Kobe Bryant, 41 years of age, friend of David Beckham as well. Um, David, you've been to um, the US and you've seen how big of a personality Kobe Bryant was. There's a few people on Twitter to me saying that just now, uh, it's good to hear you having a bash at the BBC, but in fact, not that many people know much about basketball here, which is kind of true, but they're superstars, megastars in America, aren't they? Exactly that. And, I mean, we're talking... The word legend is obviously used 
too much sometimes, but Kobe Bryant, undoubtedly a legend of basketball. And what's mm. interesting is he's sort of, for a certain generation, absolutely a basketball and sports star legend, mm. like Michael Jordan before yeah. him, who I think you saw him when you were in the United States. Yeah. And uh, a brand and a name that sort of transcends the sport, globally known. And these basketball stars, when they get like that, so you had Michael Jordan, you had Kobe Bryant, there was Shaquille O'Neal at the same sort of time as Kobe Bryant, yeah. but now we've got LeBron James who has paid his own tribute. We heard Rachel mentioning Michael Jordan in her news bulletin then as well that have paid tribute. But those names, they just are global mm. superstars. And in the US, we're coming up to Super Bowl. It's the biggest watched sporting event yeah. in the world in right. terms of... But actually, NFL stars aren't as big as these sort of no. people. Kobe Bryant was absolutely huge. And I was fortunate enough to see him play in 2012, but towards the end of his LA Lakers career. And he scored 56 points in that game himself. Wow. Now, in basketball, they only scored 88 points in the game. Yeah. Uh, his record was 81, which is the second highest ever in one match. And um, basketball is a, you know, it, it's one of those sports. When I went, I was interested in how it was sort of like they weren't big sports fans there. They just wanted a good time. Americans know how to put yeah. on an event when they do sport. Mm. But when someone is popular and huge in basketball, they then just, you know, we've seen from the likes of Barack Obama, Donald Trump obviously paying tribute, likes of Kanye West. When you get someone famous like that, they, mm. they just... Uh, they're, and they're my, I mean, Michael Jordan was kind of single-handedly responsible for the success of Nike because he was the guy that kicked off the whole kind of Air Jordan uh, idea, the idea that they could make these, these shoes that people could buy for $150 and up, you know, because their superstar sort of, you know, um, idol wore them. Exactly. And actually, it's interesting because at the same sort of time with Michael Jordan, you had Tiger Woods yeah. changing golf. Yeah. And I think it's fair to say that if you look back on what they did in terms of race relations and representation in that sense, you mm. know, huge black American sports stars, yeah. Michael Jordan did a whole lot more than Tiger Woods. I mean, golf has not really changed, actually. Not really. He... And most people still couldn't name you six golfers, Exactly. Really. Yeah, exactly. I mean, at the time, Tiger Woods changed golf, but it was very much about himself necess you know, in that particular time. Basketball, there are more black players, but these um, stars, they, they really do, they earn a lot of money. The biggest paid sports yeah. stars in America tend to be playing basketball. Also, you know, the teams that, that, that you hear about, and I know that they've changed over time since I was there, but the big teams that the LA Lakers, the Boston Celtics, the New, uh, the, the New York Knicks, the, the Chicago Bulls, where, who Jordan played for, you know, these tickets were the hardest tickets to ever get your hands on. And we, we can all remember, I'm sure, Jack Nicholson sitting courtside uh, on the LA Lakers at Staples Centre. He would be there every single home game. And, I mean, it's not a game for, for me that I could even watch. I used to enjoy watching, like, the last quarter of any basketball game, you know. Because that's when it's decided. Because that's when it's decided, yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you, I mean and, and also, by the way, my rant at the BBC is not so much about whether or not they're famous in this country. The point is, if you're a news organisation, you should be able to get that sort of thing right. You should not have to be told, actually, look... Uh, oh, look, there's another black basketball player who doesn't look that different from Kobe Bryant. Well, he's got James written on the back of his shirt, for heaven's sake. Yeah, I, I think I'd agree that there questions need to be asked about that process. But you mentioned about it being a Sunday evening and in media organisations, a Sunday night might be, as you mentioned, is it a B team they're in? It doesn't really matter. No. Kobe Bryant should be known and someone would get that right. I mean... Yesterday evening, there I was, sort of relaxing Sunday evening. My stepson comes running down and says, have you seen your news mm, alert? Right. And I'm like, what, what's going on? I mean, for him... It was shocking. He, he's absolutely a, a hero of his generation. Right. Um, but you don't, 
you can't afford to get things like that wrong. No. And, of course, as you mentioned, there are worse accusations on the back of that mm. if you're going to make that sort of mistake yes. about someone of colour, which exactly. we have, have seen, actually, newspapers make the mistake of, of getting pictures of footballers wrong yeah. and things like that, and mm. they get accused of that. I think it's probably something like... Someone in the library, in a media organisation, when you get images in, you have what are called library pictures mm. and you put a name and you go, this is pictures of Kobe Bryant at some awards ceremony right. or something. They've labelled it wrong. Yeah. But that doesn't mean... That it's then, not an excuse, I'm it's afraid. It's not an excuse. And because it should be going through several different ways and means of checking, surely. Well, and, and you know, if, if that was the, the process here and I was overseeing someone, it goes through two or three people before it goes to air, at least. At the BBC, it's probably more than that, and yeah. it certainly should be more. What I think is interesting, as you say, about questions being asked about it, we had the issue last year on the BBC with the news in the morning when uh, Naga raised the, the issue of how Donald Trump was talking oh, about yeah. female politicians... Mm. And we remember the fuss made about that, the disciplinary process that yeah. was then badly handled, right. the amount of publicity over something actually which I don't think many people were that upset about no. in terms of editorial guidance. She expressed a view yeah. about it which wasn't necessarily political. It was from her experience. Yes. And that's what we do as mm. journalists. We are allowed to talk about our experience, and she'd done that. And then you have this whole investigation Something like this, this sort of mistake needs the same treatment. Yes, and at the moment, it doesn't look like that's what it's getting. At the moment, they're putting out a statement saying, we're very sorry, it was human error. Well, that's what you get from Argus when they send you the wrong hoover. You know, <laughs> I'm sorry, this is slightly more serious. But also very similar to the Boris Johnson pictures issue yeah. during the election mm -hmm. campaign, where you'd think, just because we know how media works, just yeah. in terms of that, you ask for some pictures of someone to put then on a news bulletin. Yeah. Um, it's a very similar process. It looks like a bad mistake by someone again in that process. And this actually getting the wrong... I mean, I mentioned LeBron James. I mean, they're very different people, yeah. very different generation. Um, they play basketball. That's all they have in common. Yes. Not even the same team. No, quite. It's absolutely ridiculous. But, uh, David, thank you very much indeed. David Spencer, their news editor, uh, talking about the terrible tragedy over in California overnight uh, where Kobe Bryant and his daughter, who was just 13, died uh, when their helicopter crashed uh, around about just about uh, uh, 10 o'clock in the morning around the back of Malibu. Um, it just shows you how dangerous it can be to fly in a helicopter as well, doesn't it? 0344 499 1000 is the number. Don't forget, you can watch us live now as well uh, as listening to us right here uh, on Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. Now, there's lots of reasons to be excited about Monday mornings, right? Now, normally, uh, it would just be because you've come back to work. It would normally be just because you've had enough of the weekend and hanging about with members of your family that you might not like very much. But there's an even better reason for me to enjoy Monday morning because Belinda DeLucy has just walked into my studio uh, and I've never met her before, uh, but she's added a great touch of glamour to the, uh, to the YouTube feed. <laughs> Belinda, very, very good morning to you. Good morning. How are you? I'm very good. I'm very excited. What a fantastic week ahead. And it is really, isn't it? It's fantastic to wake up on a Monday morning knowing that at the end of the week, basically, uh, we will have left the European Union. Did you ever think it was ever going to happen? No, there were many moments I thought there was definitely going to be a second referendum, especially with when Maine's deal wasn't passing. Yeah. All revoke. And, and that's, I think, people waking up and having that depressing feeling every Monday is, is no more. So yes. that in itself is a reason to celebrate. Well, that's it. I mean, I remember going all the way back to when um, I think I did meet you, actually, back in the 
the days of the tent of shame down in Westminster and, and, you, and you came along as Alex Fuchs was talking to us. And there were times then where I thought, this is never going to end. You know, yeah. these people in Parliament behind us are always going to stymie it. They're always going to find a way of, of, you know, blocking it. They're always yeah. going to find another reason not to let it happen. I think it affected the whole country. It really it, did. It brought us all the way down. But what was even more worrying was the consequences of it not happening was so far-reaching yeah. uh, in democratic terms for our nation for generations to yes. come. It was, it was quite a sombre mm. year, that 2018. It really was. <laughs> and for most people now, they've re resigned to it. Even some of the people that I know who are who, are, who have been... In fact, Matt, a guy called Matt Kelly, who I do a podcast with, who's the, the, the publisher of The New European, even he's accepted it now, you know. Wow, um, and he's, you know, But he's going to keep, you know, probably at some point or other in a reasonable way maintaining uh, some kind of sort of candle for the European <laughs> Union and maybe he might start up some kind of, um, you know, campaign to rejoin. But he knows that's probably not going to happen for at least a generation, right? But there are people like Lord Adonis um, who can't seem to get it out of their heads that they've lost. I mean, he still tweets out that he believes the majority of people in this country want to stay in it. I think it's part of it's the whole... Deni it's denial. Yeah. It's, it's part of the whole syndrome and the process. Uh, to be honest, 2016, when we woke up the morning after the referendum, the, the result was accepted, and I think most people who voted in good faith thought that everyone was going to vote knowing that the result was going to be implemented, whether it was Remain or Leave. And back then, if Remainers had had their grief moment over mm. that year, I would have understood it. Right. But to hold on for three and a half years, putting us through all of that chaos, and now they're finally accepting it. They don't get gold medals for me for finally no, accepting no, it. No, absolutely not. Because they obviously believed uh, in their heart of hearts that they could actually reverse it, that they could stop it, that it would never really happen. Yeah, it was the arrogance as if the little people and the peasants can be re-educated mm. and put back in their pen while, right. the, while the lords sort of, you know, save us from ourselves. Yes. And that kind of mentality had, uh, it instilled a rage. And I'm, I think the British people were very patient and didn't take to the streets in, mm. in the way the French, you no. know, the gilets jaunes have, and, right. and we've done it in a very respectable way, the Brexiteers. I think so. And I think also it might lead to more change, I think, as well, in terms of the Constitution. The House of yeah. Lords certainly needs reforming. Boris Johnson looks like a guy who might be willing to take that on. Yeah. Uh, but one of the problems I've been told about the House of Lords and why it won't reform is because a lot of the people in the House of Commons don't want it to, because they kind of want to contain the power basically to run everything and if there was an elected second chamber it might not be that way well that's true i mean there are pros and cons to reforming the house of lords mm. because of course if 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 a bill goes through three times and it's rejected it passes anyway if they were to have more power you know brexit may have not you know, gone through. But Boris's bill might have not gone through if they'd right. had more power. So there are lots of things we need to discuss, but it definitely needs reform. I mean, paying people off with peerages for, for loyalty to certain parties and, and gifts or whatever yes. is not acceptable. No, it really isn't. And there's too many of them as well. Uh, I mean, far too I many. And half of them about... sleep. Half yeah. of them are having a nice old snooze. They mm. collect their money, you know, when they go into right. in the House of Lords. And of course, Lord Adonis, you mentioned earlier, he, he's not elected. No. And yet he takes he's never his... won an election in his life. <laughs> I, I mean, he try, he's tried a couple of times. A democracy is not his thing. I think a a lot of Western liberals have fallen out of love with democracy mm. and this the last three and a half years have shown that it's very sad. Absolutely. And what about your own personal journey? Because you got into politics um, probably many years ago, but you didn't actually run for Parliament in Europe until presumably last year. I, I have no political background whatsoever. I think <laughs> it was just the, the stars aligned. I, I was, I've been studying EU law for, for a long time. Well, like um, Femi. Like for, yes, although I've, I've just finished have my master's. Have you actually master's. learned anything other than him? <laughs> yeah, pros and cons, but there's no way democracy is surviving in the EU. That's right. what the conclusion I came to. But there are good things and bad things mm. about it, but it depends where democracy lies. Yeah, you know, well, I've, I've, I've been talking to, to Alex Phillips, obviously, a lot, and also mm. Martin Daubney, and I said to him that, you know, it's really down to you guys that we know as much about the EU now 
because before last May and before the Brexit yeah. Party got such a big uh, vote and a big number of people over there, I don't think I knew really any MEPs no. at all. And I the mean, EU I... loved it. They love us being disengaged yeah. because it means we don't question or hold them to account. Mm. So as soon as we started revealing the waste of money, yeah. the corruption, the, the anti-democratic nature of the place, you know, firsthand yeah. with our videos, I think it was important people yeah. learnt about and it I that think way. It was, I mean, it was a big eye-opener for me and I consider myself to be someone who knows about this <laughs> stuff, right? So for people who had never really known about it, it must yeah. have been revelatory. Well, it shocked me and I thought yeah. I knew about it. I, was in, I could not believe it. It's like a theatre and we're all actors and we play the part of politicians, mm. but really we have no power. It's like a giant chat room that yes, costs billions of exactly. taxpayers' money. And it seems to be sort of parliament on its head because it seems as though it's run by civil servants. Oh, yes. And the elected representatives <laughs> of the people are just kind of asked to vote on something once in a while oh, when yes. they're pressing a button. Yeah, they want the big decisions to be as far away from the little people as possible. And, and it's only got one destination, which is more centralisation and less democratic yeah. agency for its citizens. But I think seriously it's going to be in, in some jeopardy now, isn't it? Because when Britain leaves... Not only does it create a massive big hole in the in the European Union's budget, but it also creates, you know, a kind of a, an alternative place for people to do business rather than within the EU. Now suddenly in Britain, outside. Well, of they're it. terrified over in the EU. You, you know, we we spend a lot of time with them, and the atmosphere is they are very scared that Brexit is going to be a success. Yeah. And I think that over the next twelve months, they'll try and clip our wings in any way possible, mm. um, because the project, the ideology, is so much more important than anything else. Yes, that they'll cut their nose off to spite our face. And where do you? Think that comes from. I mean, what is what is that Fear, European yeah. thing that 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 you know? I mean, I grew up many many years ago when you could actually travel from country to country and get a different stamp. And I remember my father was having to change money. Yeah. We had about fifty five different That's currencies. Quite fun, though, it was it? great. No, it was wonderful. I hated the fact that now we go to Europe and you don't get a stamp. Mm. You know, and my kids were, are now not very happy about that. But you know, um, I never really saw this sort of universal belief system that the EU seems to have conjured up out of nowhere. You know, you travel yeah. from Belgium to France to Italy to Germany to Switzerland and they were all very different countries with their own completely different identities. Yeah, I think it was a shame. I loved how the um, countries united around trade after the Second World War. Yeah. Um, I thought that was brilliant, this, this trade relationship, but their mistake was to force a political union by deceiving the people and kind of ramming it through the ECJ and ramming right. it through, you know, vague treaties. Mm. And that's cr created an atmosphere of, of um, just suspicion and it's and that's what they ride off. They don't want anyone knowing about the EU. They right. don't want us exposing it. It's sad because it could have been a great project, you know. Yes. If Maastricht hadn't been signed, I don't think there'd have ever been a Brexit. No, I think you're absolutely right. We're just going to take a quick call here. Richard's from Manchester, uh, regular callers of the show. Uh, Richard, a very good morning to you and welcome. Thank you very much, Mike, and uh, uh, say good morning to that young lady I've seen her on the, uh, oh, in the morning. EU. Good morning. I've seen her many times on the EU. I'm absolutely in the most fantastic mood that I've been in for nearly four years. <laughs> Excellent. I was, I was, they nearly killed me, Mrs May and so on. But with regards to uh, Lord Adonis, I told you, Mike, about my brother having a parrot. And uh, the parrot, when he used to come on about, you know, we've got to stay in, we've got to stay in, we've got to stay in, the parrot used to say, oh, no, not him again, not him again. <laughs> Now, now he starts Parrot to say, oh, now, up yours, Adonis. Absolutely fantastic. Well, I mean, the idea that he's now fallen to such a degree that he has to sort of go onto Twitter and bleat on about how he's never going to take possession of a 50 pence coin, I mean, really? It's a joke. He's an absolute joke. But may I say that Alex Phillips, that I watched that show yesterday, and it really educated me about mm. what the EU's about, and particularly in Africa, yes. where, where it, it's a shocking state of affairs, and everybody should listen 
to that because it's educational. She was very straightforward. Mm. She she just give us the facts and she's very knowledgeable. And now anybody hasn't picked her up for a couple of hundred thousand a year. I, I, I agree with you well, on that. Well, listen, I mean, this is not a free advert for Alex Phillips' <laughs> job application form, Bridget, but thank you very much indeed. You know, she's talking about the off-air interview that I did with, with Alex last Monday, which was know. very... I mean, again, total eye-opener for me about how the EU does business around the world and how it operates almost like a sort of a protectionist a protection gang. Well, definitely, that's you know? why it doesn't want us to be free and to, to go out into the big wide mm. world because they sort of keep people imprisoned and right. they over-regulate small businesses so they can't compete and big businesses can absorb it all and, and there's this strange relationship yeah. between lobbyists and, I mean, I don't know how, if you know how the EU works, but you, you lobby the EU to make certain regulations mm. that make it harder for smaller companies. Well, this is where the big global companies win, isn't it? Because they've yeah. got the power and the money and the lawyers and all the rest of it. But, I mean, why do you think the rest of those who go on about how great it is, do so. Because I've yet, ne I've never yet really found a reason for that. You know, that, that sections of the media, academia, you know, the House of Lords, certain mm. politicians have always been just wooed to this wonderful idea of the European Union. I, I think it's a, a bit of self-loathing. I think that they've, the t you know, George Orwell said, mm. you know, it's the academics and the, and the liberals that sort of have this loathing of their own country and culture. Um, I think there's a little bit of that, but also this sort of idea that the elites should really take control as far away from the people as possible and outsourcing so much work i mean a lot of these mps their work gets outsourced yes. to brussels I mean, it's half half a job what they're going to actually have to work now mm. they're going to earn their money now because they're going to be in charge of everything yes so and, and it's very rewarding financially going into the eu as mm. an mep yeah. or, or any job there you get paid way too much money and the expenses are insane right. so i think people are attracted to that and it's the idea that you know there is no peace without the eu i know which that's uh, absolute nonsense isn't it and the biggest lie I felt has been t told to the people over the past few decades is that the EU is somehow Europe. Yeah. That all the 44 nations of Europe, the beautiful people, the cultures are the EU. They're completely different things. Mm. So when you say you want to leave the EU, they're saying that we want to leave Europe and we're xenophobic and we're anti-European. It's the opposite. We love Europe. Right. We love Europeans. It's like taking everybody out of the Home Office and saying, <laughs> this is Britain <laughs> yes, and this exactly. is who they are, this is what they do <laughs> but it works. this is what they represent. I mean, it works. People, people are grieving mm. about leaving what they think we're leaving Europe. We're not at all. Yeah. Well, I mean, I had uh, with one of the other shows that we do here at Talk Radio, Plank of the Week, <laughs> yes. uh, which is very, we, very interesting. We must get you on it at some point to come and judge it. We, uh, we had Ed Davey um, on as the chief Plank of the Week the other week, but he's going to have to be in it again this week because he was stupid enough to put a tweet out saying, I'm returning from Brussels for the last time as a citizen of Europe. <laughs> to which I said, well, hang on a minute, mate. You would never were a citizen of Europe. You can't be a citizen of Europe. And I had the Absolutely. same argument with Leila Moran. Uh, who said, I said, yeah, but you haven't got a European passport. You don't have citizenship of a European country because it's not a country. It's not a country, thank goodness. And she said, but it's what I have in my heart. Oh, well, you see the drama yeah. and the beauty of emotions and and everyone's getting a little bit, well, not everyone, this small section dewy of Remainers are dewy-eyed and very sensitive. I think the majority of Remainers have accepted it totally. and want to move on. Yeah. It's just the dwindling, gnarly, hardcore yeah. arch-Remainers mm. and they just don't want us to have any fun on Friday. No. Exactly right. And some of the people who are that way inclined, I really think should know better. I mean, Philip Pullman's another one, <laughs> you know, who goes on and on and on about how awful it's going to be. Oh. This is a bloke who's made most of his money 
you know, selling books to people in this country. But he's he not going to be much fun it. down at the pub. He, he calls this country vile <laughs> and foul. And Hugh Grant. With Hugh Grant, who says we're finished. finished. I mean, these people, like, have they about? got many friends? What are they like to hang out with? Are we, we are optimists, we have faith in the country, yeah. people, and we're so excited about the future and mm. the opportunities. Wouldn't people rather be part of our gang? Well, you it's a happy so. gang. Well, exactly. I mean, I did this many uh, months ago when I worked out that actually optimism is preferable to pessimism. Yes. Uh, and there's a broadcaster on, a, on an opposite channel to me uh, who just spends his entire life whining, moaning, groaning, you know, depressing everybody. Yeah. I once did a show where I just said, let's all just be happy and let's be optimistic. And what's wrong with that? And people loved it. Well, there's a kind of a victimhood as well culture going on and everyone's got to have a problem and be oppressed or suppressed and it's reaching everyone else. So even if you're quite happy and you've got many blessings in yeah. your life, you have to have an axe to grind yes. or some kind of issue. Mm. This is my only axe. After this, I'm, I'm done. Right, you know, absolutely. I, I will and you'll it. be done pretty much at the end of this week, more or less, won't you? Yes, we're voting on Wednesday and then we leave in the morning of the 31st. Right. So we walk And out. so there's no reason um, for it to go wrong, is there? I mean, people have said... I mean, occasionally people come up to me and say, what, what if it all goes wrong? You know, what if they decide not to vote it through? No, our feeling is they're going to vote it through. Um, the, the it, EU, it makes yes, no sense not to, it, does it doesn't. It? I mean, it's, it's May's treaty in all but 5%, mm. which they all yes. love. So, um, yeah, it's going to go through. And we have a big voting meeting on Wednesday just before the vote to go through our position on it, just to confirm it. Mm. Um, and we'll be doing lots of explanations of the way we vote afterwards so that people can understand okay. why we vote. Because afterwards. one of the things I know that, that very sort of hard Brexiteers were disappointed with, I suppose, is that, that Nigel Farage and the Brexit Party kind of came alongside the Boris Johnson deal, having already castigated it and said it really isn't Brexit, it's in yeah. name only and all of that. But there was a certain practicality to that, I'm assuming. Well, also, you know, the, the concerns stand. The treaty is far beneath a country like ours should ever be signing. And we had so much faith in Boris at the beginning. Mm. We, we thought there was no way he was going to touch Maine's deal. In fact, he said, you know, it's dead in the water, Maine's deal. And then when he brought it back with a few changes, yes, we were disappointed. But he did make concessions at the end and reassured us that there'd be no alignment, end of transition 2020. Yeah. So what it means is there's a good chance of a good Brexit if Boris keeps to his promises, right. and that's that's essential. And, and we so have to will you him. hold him to those promises as the Brexit party, albeit that you won't, won't really be any more in Parliament? Well, we're going to take a step back and let um, Boris have his moment and give him a chance, but our eyes are going to be all over the negotiations over the next 10 months. Totally understand Brexit exhaustion, but we owe it to the people that voted us in to keep an eye yeah. on it and to make sure... He follows through. Trust isn't still great. No. And how do you see it kind of unfolding then over the next six months or so? Is it going to be a kind of piecemeal um, trade deal that happens from sort of almost, you know, sector to sector? Because I think a lot yes. of people aren't really very clear on what happens next. No, yeah? and I'm not sure many people are, you know, as interested as the core few barnacled, gnarly Brexiteers mm. uh, that are left. But um, I think the big things is, is fisheries, whether that's going to be sold out for financial services. Because right. most of our voters were uh, along the coast and they've been ignored by parties mm. for generations and they put their trust in us. So I just hope Boris really re rejuvenates the coastal communities and stops the EU from pillaging so much with their massive trawlers. And, I mean, they, they, you know, they talk about net sizes and our fishermen have to follow EU net sizes and things like that, which make them lose a lot of their stock. It's complicated, but we need to keep fishing and rejuvenate those mm. communities. They okay. deserve it. They do. <laughs> Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.
So, as I was saying in the first hour of the show, we were talking to George Pascoe Watson. The Times this morning has their front page story. Uh, Britain's open to the world's best talent, says Boris Johnson. He's going to unveil a new visa uh, just before uh, the Brexit deadline kicks off. And uh, whether he's able to bring more people into the country can't be a bad thing that he's advising people to come. Can't be a bad thing that he's trying to get more and more skills into the country. Also, one of the things that he wants to do uh, is to reduce the number of low-paid workers coming here from the European Union uh, and encouraging other companies to actually start employing more homegrown people uh, and paying them more money. Let's find out from Christine Jardine whether she thinks it's all going to work terribly well. I've got a feeling she's not going to agree with it. Christine, a very good afternoon. Afternoon. Thank you very much for joining us. A couple That's of things, right. really. Uh, let's kick off, first of all, with the, the world's best talent. I'm calling it Britain's Got Talent uh, for yeah. Boris Johnson. Um, yeah. One of the things that I noticed from the piece earlier is that the, the, the caps that, that have been put on these sorts of jobs in the past have never actually been, been no. met. So does it matter that the cap is now removed? No, this is just a marketing exercise and a stunt by this, this government. The visa already exists, they're just renaming it, and they're removing caps that have never been reached. Mm. So they're not actually changing anything or doing anything. They're just, you know rebranding, putting it out again and claiming it's something new. And that, you know, to me, that's not doing anything to help the problem. That's just trying to market yourself. Um, well, I suppose if they're marketing Britain, it's not a bad thing, is it? They're not marketing Britain. They're marketing themselves. Um, they're saying, oh, look, we're doing this. And uh, that's not achieving anything for anyone. The visa already exists. And it also doesn't... Um, um, address the issue that we're going to have in this country and that we have in this country about people who work in science that we want to attract to this country because most of them are not um, affected by this visa and would be on two t uh, tier two visas, um, would be researchers, would be people coming to work in the science industries. And so it doesn't actually do anything. These are the people that we will need to ensure that a new immigration system actually attracts to this country because of the demographic we have. We need more people to keep um, things like um, science, academia, um, the NHS working and um, efficient for us, looking after us. And funds like this don't help anyone. But I suppose you would argue, if you were the, the, the government, who I certainly do not speak for, uh, they would say, well, surely if you are here working in research, then, then you know, you just you move over from visa two to visa one, don't you? But this is about attracting people to say, come here, and they're not doing that. They're not making it. You need to make it attractive for people to come here. You need to make it easier for people to come here. And the government hasn't really come well, up. Well, they're saying they're going to make fewer restrictions on, on bringing the family with, with you. So that's, surely that's an improvement, isn't it? Well, just rebranding what already exists isn't really making an improvement. It's just, you know, doing exactly what I just said. What we need is something which will attract people to come here as researchers, to come here to work. And what we're losing is freedom, freedom of movement. And that is where, if you like, uh, leaving the European Union is going to make a difference because it will be more difficult for people to come from the European Union in these other areas, um, like research. But it won't be impossible, will it? The past. But it won't be It'll impossible. Be more difficult. It'll be more difficult. And the whole point about Margaret Thatcher's um, vision um, ironically, it was Margaret Thatcher who had this vision of, you know, a, a Europe where you could move about freely, you could move goods and people, was that it made it easier for economies to be run, for it, you know, for us to attract people for jobs um, from the rest of the European Union, and that's now not going to be possible. Well, um, it's not, it's not, you know, that's wrong to say it's not going to be possible. It is going to be possible. You're just, you're just saying it's going to be slightly more difficult. 
I didn't, freedom of movement's not going to be uh, possible. Well, it, well, freedom of movement exists. If you get a visa to come here, you can come here. That's freedom of that's movement, not, but you just need a visa. Movement. That's not freedom of movement. Freedom what is it then? doesn't demand a visa. That's, you know... Well, yeah, but you're making out that without... Yeah, but hang on. You're making out that without freedom of movement, nobody could move. That's not true. No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that freedom of movement made it much easier to attract people to come and work in this country. And, you know, without freedom of movement, it's going to be much more difficult. Sure, it will and be. But, but the point is, is that one of the... Yeah but, line, but yeah, but one of the reasons why people voted for Brexit was that they wanted to get more of a control over immigration. And that's what it will do, presumably, because one of the things that is a problem for a lot of people is low-paid workers coming in from the European Union and undercutting the jobs that British people will not do for that kind of money. That's an argument that we all had three years ago. And again, the goalposts shift and, you know, was it about immigration or was it not about immigration? People ha are arguing about that now. That's not where we are. We've moved on. And what we have to do now is ensure that we have the best possible system going forward. And this government needs to do more to have a, a good, fair reasonable immigration system that encourages people to come here in the areas that we need. That's the challenge we face now. So what's no your so what's your plan in the Lib Dems then? What, what would be your immigration policy? Well, what, what we need is to have um, a strong border force. We're talking today, one of the things you, you asked me to go on and talk about was the, the 200 yeah. migrants. And what we need is an immigration system that doesn't... We, we need to do away with the wholesale atmosphere, for one thing. If people think it's going to be difficult to come here, that they're not... Uh, legally, then that's when they do um, reckless things, dangerous things like, you know, go and freeze a lorries. Um, but if it's a hostile atmosphere, why do they want to come here in the first place? They want to come here because they're trying to... These are, these are people who are refugees. They're asylum seekers. They're running away from persecution where their lives are in risk. Yes, All but why are they not stopping in France, where they're coming from? Is a decent, they're not coming from France. They're coming they are. from all parts of the world. Well, no, they're coming from France. They're coming on boats from the French coast. They're coming on boats because they are trying to come here, many of them. One of the things we talked about in Parliament last week was reunited families. Many of them have families who are in this country legally. And they are now the refugees from the, their country of origin as well. And they want to join their families. Now, if we had a reasonable policy, if this government had stuck to what we wanted and um, the other parties wanted to put in the um, withdrawal agreement about encouraging and making it easier for families to be reunited, sticking to the Dubs Act and refugee children, allowing refugee children to come to this country. People wouldn't be forced to go to camps and become victims of people tra traffickers. But why don't the people, people who... Yeah, but what I'm asking you is, is... And I can never get... Illegally. But I'm asking it's you a, a question, Christine, which nobody can ever seem to answer. Why do they not want to stay in France? Why can they not reunite with their families in France? Why can't the people who have come here move to France? If, if their families are here and they've got jobs and they've built a life for themselves here, why should they, why should they not be able to be reunited with the other members of their family. Because we're, we're a very small country and we haven't got any room. Well, a very small country who has a demographic problem, who needs more immigration to fill the jobs. Well, that's what you keep saying. But, but in fact, the people who are living here who don't have jobs are saying that they can't get jobs we've because... We've got very near full employment in this country and we want to keep it that way. We want as so many why, well, if we've got nearly full employment, why do you need more people? You can't have it both ways. We only have the um, healthy employment situation that we have because we are able to encourage people 
with, to come here and fill the skills gap that we have in many places to staff the NHS, where our staff are overstretched and are doing a fantastic job under very, very difficult circumstances. Um, so, so you're kind of arguing two different arguments here. You're on the one hand saying that we've got full employment, on the other hand you're saying that we haven't got enough people. No, I'm not. What I'm saying is that in this country we need to encourage migration. We need to help people who want to come here and not create this hostile atmosphere which pushes people into the hands of people smugglers. And then you get horrific situations like we had just recently with the, the, the truck which was found where more than 30 people had frozen to death. These are people who want to make a life, who want to come here, who want to make a contribution. No, most of those people were people who were being trafficked by organised crime. Trafficked. No, they were being trafficked by organised crime, right, who had lied to them. Most of them would have ended up probably working for organised crime. Most of them probably would have ended up working illegally in illegal businesses. People turn to traffickers when they can't, when it's difficult for them to come here legally. What we need is a better, stronger border force and to be working with our partners in the European Union to make sure that we manage, that we have safe legal routes for people who are entitled to come here, um, to come here and people who are asylum seekers to seek asylum Yes, but you still haven't answered the question. You can't tell me that everyone that's coming on these boats illegally from France is coming here to be linked, reunited with members of their family. Some of them don't have family here. Some of them have arrived in Europe from parts of the Middle East which have been war-torn, but instead of staying in Europe, they've come here. Now, why do they do that? They do that because they're trying to make a better life for themselves. Now, some of them are entitled to come here. We agree target. Some of them are entitled to come here. But because this government makes it so difficult and puts up barriers and doesn't actually um, do what... But it doesn't, though. Because if you, but if you get on one of these boats, Christine... You, well, you can finish in a second. The point about these boats is that if you come here on a boat, you will be taken off that boat and you will be given a house in this country. That's what happens because they're not sent back. So, in fact, they aren't coming... Asylum seekers in this country get five pounds a day to live on. They are not. Well, why are they coming then? They are coming here because they are running away from. They're running away from France, though. Mike, could I finish? But if you won't answer my question, I have to keep asking it. Why are they not staying in France? If you would just give me a minute to answer the question, the problem that has been created is that we don't have safe legal routes to, for want of a better word, control the immigration and the asylum seekers who want to come here, who are entitled to come here, and make sure that people who are legally entitled to come here come here safely. Now, because we don't do that efficiently, we don't have the border force that we need, and we're no longer going to be working with our European partners as effectively as they could, people are forced to turn to illegal... Well, it's not working very well now, is it? It's not working very well. But we're still in the European <laughs> Union. The way it would work better was if we had, um, you know, safe legal routes, a better border force. If the government invested in that and in safe legal routes, then we would be able to control migration and people wouldn't. Oh, really? Dangerous things like getting on boats, getting in freezer trucks um, and going into the hands of gangs and people traffickers. And that is the problem. They are the people that we need to clamp down on. Yeah, but why and can... Why, you still haven't answered the question, right? I'll give it one last go. Why is it that people who have no family here and who make it to Western Europe, which is perfectly safe, a place like France or Belgium or Holland uh, or even Spain, why are they not staying in those countries and why are they coming to Britain? 
what we have is a situation where we haven't created safe legal routes out of... No, that's, you're not answering the question. I am actually no. answering the question. Come on, you've had four I, goes at it now and you still haven't. Can I finish? Well, can you answer the question? Yeah, I am. We are not creating safe legal routes out of those countries. And when I say those countries, I don't mean France and Spain. I'm talking about Syria, Libya, places where people are leaving because they're being persecuted. Now, if we did that, then we would have a much better immigration system. If we invested in our border forces, if we worked better with our partners across the world, rather than having knee-jerk okay. reactions and a hostile right. environment. You do realise you still haven't answered the question, don't you? I have actually answered no, the question. You haven't you know said... You would have liked. No, you know, no, it's not a question of whether I like the answer or not. I've asked you why they keep coming here. It's not about safe routes. Yeah, they're, it's, they're, they're already safe. They're in France, OK? They're in they're Holland. Safe. How, why are they not safe in France? It's in the European Union, the place you love so much. Start, we have to start the safe route before that. No, but they're already living in France, right? They, did, they then decide to come here. Why? They're in, because they're in campus in France because um, we do not have a working system of safe routes from their place of origin and they end up in uh, camps in France and yeah. then fall into the hands of traffickers and gangs who... Um, Put them on these boards. So what, as, what as, as a Lib Dem, what as a Lib Dem have you done to get the French to keep them in France? As a Lib Dem, yeah. I have argued with the government. I have worked to get the government to include things in the withdrawal agreement bill, which would make it much easier to manage the situation, to reduce the number of people trying to come here illegally and provide safe legal routes. I've argued that with the government. We've put um, amendments into the withdrawal agreement bill about reuniting families, about treating refugees and asylum seekers in a different way. And do you know what? It comes down to the government. They don't have, a, they can blame everybody else they like, but they haven't come up with a system which makes it um, easier to manage, that has a more effective... Well, that's process. what they're so attempting they're to do, and you're, and you're ripping it to shreds. My, because I don't think what they're suggesting is actually um, effective. Well, why don't we wait and see, and then we can talk about it when it's been we, instituted. We can indeed. OK, Christine, thanks very much indeed. Christine Jardine there, uh, Lib Dem MP for Edinburgh West, uh, Home Affairs spokesperson. I don't think she answered the question, do you? This is Talk Radio. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. You know what to do. 0344 499 1000. The home of common sense is easily available. You can watch us as well, of course, on YouTube, uh, on Facebook and on Twitter. Loads more of you joining in uh, every single day. Uh, let's talk to Sharon, uh, who's in Staines in South London. Hi, Sharon. Hello, Mike. How are you doing? Yeah, very well indeed. I hope your... Is your phone line OK? Because it sounds a bit dodgy. No, no, it's a bit dodgy. We'll get you on a better line. Let's talk to Dave, who's in Norfolk. Hello, Dave. Hello, mate. How are you? Yeah, very well, sir. What can I do for you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. Um, yeah, I've got a lot of Jewish in me, but I just want to sympathise with the British people at the moment and uh, talk about the hypocrisy of my own people. What, uh, what hypocrisy is that? Uh, well, there's Jewish organisations such as the Border, uh, border Deputies that's um, lobbying for mass migration to Europe, but when it comes to Israel... They seem to uh, don't want open borders. Sorry, I don't. I don't follow your logic. So obviously, no. They, so obviously, you got loads of Jewish NGOs and like the British Board of Deputies and the multiple companies like Israel. They all help migrants and refugees into Europe, which is replacing the European people. But oh. um, 
Well, how do you know they're helping? How do you know? Excuse me. How do you know that when when you say they're helping people to come to Europe, how are they doing that? Well, they help them off the boats. This is all on video video footage. Well, the board of deputies does. I haven't seen a board of deputies boat. We've got Israel aid. There's footage of Israel aid that helps the migrants off the boats. They okay. give them clothes, food, but they don't do it for Israel. There's no open borders for Israel, and I think it's pretty hypocritical. Okay. Them, do you not think? Um, not really. No. Thanks very much for your call. Let's talk to Nick, uh, who's in Croydon. Hello, Nick. Uh, hello, Mike. Morning. Morning. How are you doing? Um, I'm, I am very well, very well indeed. Um, this, this new form that researchers and scientists have to fill in yes. for a visa, yeah. it's only a form, and I think any scientist or, or a researcher worth their name, worth their salt, should be able to uh, fill, in, fill in a form. If they can't, then it does rather beg the uh, question whether they're... they're, they're the uh, caliber. Yeah. Well, I mean, they already have to do it, and they already have to do it anyway. The Tier One visa is is currently in place, which is what they would have to fill out at the moment. So, if they want to get one of these, um, you know, jobs in in Britain, they just fill out a new form, which is the new form of the visa. So, I don't really see what the problem is. No, me neither. And that that a uh, uh, Democratic Lib Dem MP on. I mean, honestly. <laughs> you just won't face reality. No. And one of the reasons I'm sure the Labour Party and Lib Dems did so badly is numbers and the failure to face reality. Yes. I think that's been a big problem over the last three years because they haven't been willing to face the reality of the referendum result. Then they weren't willing to face the reality of Brexit actually happening. And now that it is happening, they're not willing to face the reality that actually Boris Johnson is now a Prime Minister with an 80-seat majority and he can pretty much do what he wants. But he's also doing decent stuff. I mean, the open, you know, the open borders, the the the, the visa change for the scientists and researchers. What a good idea! Yeah, he's not actually put a foot wrong, and it must stick in the craw of the left wing. Oh sure, and but also what sticks in their craw is that he's actually quite popular. <laughs> yes, and still is. Right. I mean, it's just remarkable what he's done. One of the lovely things about all of this, what's happened between March and now, is is looking back, if it, if it had not been for Letwin Cooper, for uh, <laughs> Hilary Benn, Subri, Theresa May's deal would have gone through and we would have had a yes. lot softer Brexit than we're getting. Yes. And that's absolutely delicious. Yes, you might also add in Gina Miller's name to that list oh, as well, because she, Miller, was, uh, she was helpful. Uh, uh, Lady Hale, Joanna Cherry. Yeah. The list is endless to all these people who tried to 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 scupper Mrs May's deal and did so, but only end ended up with, from their perspective, a worse, harder yes. leaving of the EU. And that lack of moderation has just shown shown them up. The irony is delicious. Yes, it's absolutely right. You're very well, uh, very well said, Nick. You've, they've completely been stitched up, basically, by Dominic Cummings' master plan uh, and by Boris Johnson. Nick's absolutely right. Let's talk to Sharon, uh, who I think we've got on a better line now. Hi, Sharon. Hi, hi there. How are you so, doing? Yeah, good. I think that sounds like a yep. lot of better line. Thank you. Good, good. Yeah, my question is about um, the illegal immigration and the um, illegal migrants arriving yeah. in Dover. Mm. The people that think this is all going to come to a, to a crashing finish with Brexit are going to be really disappointed because it's a whole industry that is behind this. Uh, the yeah, I think that's the problem, and, isn't it? And, uh, and that, that is not what is being addressed. Nobody is addressing who is behind the people smuggling gangs. Right. Um, I mean, I've, I've been told, by the way, Sharon, that the, the people smuggling gangs are now getting more money smuggling people than they would have got smuggling drugs. 
Uh, I I believe so, and I, I and I believe it's being pushed by by various uh, uh, groups. Um, you know, this is a big it's a big question, and the political will is not it's not not just in Britain that we're not uh, really getting to the grip of this problem. It's in Europe, yeah. in the EU. They they are not getting to the grip of it either. I mean, look at Greece and um, Italy. I mean, we are still getting, or we're going to get more because the problems in in uh, in, uh, in Libya are growing yeah. up. Well, the trouble for, yeah, more. I mean, the problem for Greece and Italy is that geographically they're the first port of call, aren't they? Uh, of course, of course. But the thing is, Mike, that the political will to tackle who is behind uh, these people smuggling gangs and who is assisting the NGOs. I mean, where, where are the NGOs? Should we Let's look at that. Should we start looking at the NGOs uh, who, are, who are rescuing these legal migrants, yeah. you know, just at the point where, where, they, where, they, you know, where they get dropped off in the sea? It's all a process. We're not joining up the dots. We have to be, be, have a political will to tackle the people smuggling gangs. And who is behind it? Who's funding? Well, surely the, the way NGOs? to stop it as well, the bottom line is, is if it is properly a hostile environment here and people find out that they can't be given permission to stay in this country, then they'll stop coming, won't they? Well, you would think so. You would think so. But, but uh, again, I put it back to who is, who is behind the NGOs. Have you ever looked at uh, who, who funds the NGOs? Well, the charities, the you mean? Well, the charities, in my view, do yeah, an awful lot of things that they who, shouldn't be doing. But they, they're, they're funded largely by grants and they're funded largely by, by, by donations by, from by people their, in this country who think they're doing a good thing. Not just in this country. If you look uh, and you go on to look at who the NGOs are funded by and the, and the groups, you will see, you'll come up with some surprising information. OK, all right. Um, well, well, we shall check it out and see what's what. Thank you very much indeed, Sharon. Let's talk to John, uh, who's in Lee. Hello, John. Hi, uh, Mike. How um, are you doing? Not so bad yourself. Yeah, not bad. I just wanted to expand a bit on what Robert said earlier when he was mentioning about, you know, the, the decline of the white population. And, oh, yeah. And, and he said it's being replaced. Well, that, that Oxford professor said that by the 2060s, white people will be an overall minority. This, is, England, the, this, is, the, this is the guy who, who formed my Migration Watch, isn't it? Um, no, I think that was somebody else, actually. No, the guy who's making these predictions is the founder of Migration Watch. Well, he, I imagine he predicts the same thing, yeah, but the actual Oxford professor, I can't remember his name. No, he is an Oxford yet. professor, it's the same guy. Oh, right, okay, fair enough. Um... Yeah, I mean, we're already a minority in certain places in this country. One of those being our own capital city. And I don't think that's right. I think, I think everywhere... Well, you think, we we're, well, you think white people are in a minority, do you? I do, yeah. Have you ever been to Scotland? Uh, well, our capital city, London, we are a minority there. Are you sure? It's, uh, some, yeah. It's, who's uh, who's told it's you great. that? And who's, when I say, when I say who's, white who's people, told I you that? Mean, it's... <laughs> Mike, it's all over the internet. Oh, it's, it's all over the internet, Earth. right. It's, well, there's a lot of things all over the internet. Find Google and find official statistics provided by governments. Well, will you um, well, tell me one government statistic that says we're in a minority? It, well, I'm out and about it, but ah, if, okay. if you wanted to, I could find it. All right, then. Well, maybe when so, you find it, you could let me know what it is, and then you can call me back. Oh, I will, yeah. Yeah, that's no problem. All right. Okay, then. Thanks, John. You still there? Uh, well, I'm still here, yeah. Okay, sorry, I thought you'd gone. Let's talk to Daniel in Epsom. Hello, Daniel. 
<laughs> all right, Chief. All right. Now, listen, I've got a little bit of sympathy for these people calling in because... Yeah, but why are they all reading the same stuff on the internet? Why are they all convinced, right, that there is this secret UN plan to replace everybody who's white with somebody who's brown? Because they've all read the Kalergi plan online. I mean, I, I haven't read it for what it's worth. I've heard about it. But I've also used my eyes, and I've also read the census of 1951, right. which shows us we virtually had a totally homogenous country. I think it was 98.85% of people were white, spoke English, and were broadly Christian. Now, yeah. less than one... We also, one we also only had one television channel. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, in less than one man's <laughs> lifetime, we have what we have today that people didn't really want or ask for. And it's kind of... Well, that's not strictly true, actually, because one of the reasons the first sort of big wave of immigration happened was because people were needed to come to work in London Transport, people were needed to come and work in other parts of the country to do jobs that the British people weren't doing. I think what you're doing, Mike, is that classic mistake of your... your, your, your I don't make mistakes, forget. Daniel. No, but you're, yeah, but you're forgetting the government's control immigration policy, not the people. You'll find it's always been unpopular amongst the people. No, you'll it's been unpopular it's... amongst certain people. It has been unpopular amongst everybody. And you're wrong, no. to, you're wrong to say that. No, I'm not. I, I think in the Yeah, you are. Well, you can think what you like, Daniel, but you're wrong to say that Mike, people I'm, didn't I'm, want I'm, it because in the 50s, there weren't enough people to go around to do all the jobs that were required to, to be done. After the yeah, war and after the government was, was, was putting in transportation uh, in the tubes, they were putting buses on, you know, people were required and they were, and we call it, you can call it the Windrush generation if you want, they were invited to come here, right, because people couldn't do the jobs, there wasn't enough of them. Yeah, to be fair, I wasn't really talking about Windrush. I mean, that's kind of obvious that they were wanted after World War II. That, that, that's granted. But if you, if you take, put that aside, really, much of the other immigration... I mean, I've seen the town and city I grew up in as a boy change in front of my eyes, and, and no one really wanted a for it and Brexit. Yeah, but there are huge swathes of this country that are very white indeed, and they're not very far from London. Yeah, but People but, tend to come to cities because that's where the work is. Yeah, but Brexit, well, one of the big reasons people voted for Brexit was so the, the, the government, everybody woke up, we gave the government a kick up the jacksy, and one of the big reasons was, in the last six general elections, Mike, the, one of the top two topics on the doorstep were what? The economy and immigration. Yeah, but a lot of the immigration that people were unhappy with was from the European Union, right? And much of that immigration, a large bulk of it, is people who are white. No, but the EU immigration, you have to separate it. EU immigration... All no, I don't have started. to do anything. I'm no, just telling you what the facts are. Yeah, and I'm telling you some facts now that EU immigration, all it really does is uh, increase uh, the use of our infrastructure and suppress wages, where a lot yeah, of... Yeah, but that's why people don't want it. Exactly. So, but it's just so that's immigration that you don't want, which is white. Yeah, yeah. and right. there's also immigration from the third world that brings with it FGM, other killing, sham marriage, suicide bombing. Some of, of it does. Together. Some of it also brings a lot of doctors. Some of it brings an awful lot of computer scientists. Some of it also brings an awful lot uh, of teachers and people who work in the NHS. You know, you can't make these broad, sweeping statements, Daniel. I'm not going to let you do it. Well, I, I would imagine that most of those people on, uh, uh, that are doing these kind of third, uh, sort of medieval things from the third world, they're not brain... brain well, brain I mean, I'm not particularly happy with Albanian drug gangs driving around London with machine guns, you know, but that's not a racist problem, is it? That's the point. That's about immigration. Daniel, we'll have to leave it there because we're running out of time. But listen, I appreciate your call. I don't mind disagreeing with you. There's no reason to agree with everything that I say. Uh, as long as we do it in a reasonably civilised manner, that will be just fine. This is the Independent Republican, Mike Graham, back at 10 o'clock tomorrow. Talk Radio. Across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid-morning with Mike Graham. Talk Radio.